Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We really believe the next 35 minutes will help you. We pray God speaks to you through this week's message. Um, it's Palm Sunday and, uh, and uh, it's the week before Easter. I know, I can't believe it. It is the week before Easter and, uh, and it really has crept up on us uh, so quickly. And I want to speak out of some of the scriptures that talk about uh, Palm Sunday uh, because we're right at this point in, uh, in the yearly journey, journey that we take every year. So um, I'll start with a bit of a, a, a strange question. Um, if you're here today and, and you're a, a mum and you've had, and you had a a, a child who decided to have a second child if you've had one who decided to have a second child okay so there's a number of you that after having your first child you decided that you would have a second child and there's a part of me that just sort of thinks like did you not learn how much pain was involved the first time you you know like I went to that show three times and, and after having the first child, there is something that you said and you said, I want to have another baby. I want to do that all over again. And I remember when Sarah, when we had Judah, when I first met Sarah, she wanted to have five children and we have a Kia Carnival, so I suppose it's possible. And, and she said, I want to have uh, uh, five children. So when we had the first child, I seized what I believed was an opportune time. And I said to her with confidence, I said, so you still want to have five? And she looks at me with conviction and she goes, yep. Yeah. I thought, well, that just did not see that coming. I just never expected that she was going to say that because you would think that after somebody goes through some kind of pain like that, that they would just go, no, absolutely not. But I think, you know, when we had Judah, to be honest, we loved him so much um, that we thought, let's have another child. And then we had Isaac, who's our second child, and we loved him so much and we thought, let's go again. And so we had Eliana and so we have three children and who knows, anything could happen, a fourth could happen, I'm not making any announcements today, but it could, it could happen, we could have a fourth child, why would we go back for more? Because, simply because we just love our kids and when you love people, there's something about loving people that you're willing to go through pain for them. You know, the, the, the Bible says in John 3.16 that God so loved the world that He gave a son. God loved the world so much that actually He gave a son. If you've ever gone to the shops and you've bought something, have you ever had buyer's remorse? You go there and you buy it and there's a couple of things that you, you, you do. You, you exchange money and you get back the goods, right? Buyer's remorse happens when you gave too much money and you didn't realize till you got home that the goods weren't worth it, you know? When it comes to uh, uh, kids, when it comes to family, when it comes to what God has done for us, He gave the most expensive offering that He could give. He exchanged His Son and He purchased our sins for that great price. 
And, and I do not believe in any way that God felt like he made the wrong purchase. I want to read a scripture to you today. It comes out of Mark chapter 11, and it's called, it's called the triumphal entry. This is when Jesus is entering Jerusalem, um, and it's a week really before uh, he, he becomes crucified. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you'll find a colt untied. It's like a donkey. And he says, On which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and we'll send it back here immediately. Just felt a word really equipped to my spirit as I read that. I think really to do ministry, I, w- I need an, an Aston Martin vanquish. So what I want to encourage you to do is go find one, untie it any way you like and bring it to me. And when anybody asks what you're doing, you tell them my pastor has need of it. And when I'm finished with it, I will send it back immediately. Okay, so I just want to encourage you to do that. I'll find something to do with that vehicle, I promise. And so they went away and they found a colt tied at the door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of those who were standing there said to them, what are you doing untying a colt? And they told them what Jesus had said and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it. Now, He's beginning to enter into Jerusalem. It says, And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before, uh, who went before, and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David, Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Palm Sunday is the crowning of a king. It was the crowning of a king, at least in their hearts. They were crowning Jesus king in their hearts when they would go behind and they would shout, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. You know, the prophet Zechariah said, a king will come to you on a donkey. Now, I'm sure that they didn't have that scripture in mind as they were laying out their cloaks and their palm leaves, but they'd been around enough and they'd heard about this guy, Jesus. And so as he began to enter into Jerusalem, they would lay down their cloaks. John the Baptist was this guy who it was said that he would prepare the way for the Lord. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. He lived in the desert. That's not weird. He ate honey. That's not weird. I like honey too. But he ate locusts. And that's weird. And, and you know, I was watching Shark Tank not too long ago, and this woman got up and she said, bugs is the future of food for humanity. It's just wrong. I don't care who John the Baptist was. Just don't eat locusts. Don't eat bugs. I think it's a weird thing to do. He had a few quirky things about him, but the one thing that he got is that he would see the Messiah in his time, that he would know who the Messiah was, and he saw it at Jesus's baptism. And you see, with all of this going on, there was this expectation that was being created, an expectation that people were going to see the Messiah. And so when this 
king decides to come in. It's really a man just sitting on a donkey coming in. People are saying, this is the guy. And they're laying down the palm leaves and they're laying down their cloaks and they crowned him king in their hearts that day. And Jesus, they had heard the things that he'd said. And Jesus was well known for saying this, this you know, saying, he would say, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, we're at a time right now where the kingdom is within reaching distance. It's so close. You could almost sort of just reach out and grab that kingdom. It's right here. And so again, expectation is building. What's going to happen? This guy, Jesus, is here and he's bringing his kingdom and, and, and everything's going to be different and things are going to change. We can't wait for Jesus to be king. When he's king, all of our problems are solved. Everything changes. We're not under the Roman Empire anymore. We'll be on top. They'll serve us. Everything changes when the king comes. So let's celebrate the coming of this king. Yet none of them really knew the exchange that had to take place in order for him to really bring the kingdom that was at hand. No one knew the exchange that was to be made. Everyone except Jesus. So they're laying down cloaks and they're laying down palm leaves. Which, by the way, if you read back in the scriptures, was one of the ways that they would prepare the ground for the king. So there's something very symbolic about it. It was customary for a king to do it. And they were expecting a king. And as you know, a king comes with a kingdom. But this is a king of which kingdom? The kingdom that they had in mind was an earthly kingdom. The kingdom they had in mind, everything was going to happen and that Jerusalem would be the center of that king. And so here are people shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're shouting praises to him. Here is this guy. This is incredible. One week later, they're shouting, crucify him. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Crucify him. Why? What happened between these two experiences that would completely shift and change the way that they felt about a person that they were crowning king in their hearts? You know, it's easy to shout praise for Jesus, provided he always does what you want him to do. It's easy to shout praise for God when you have requests. Let your request be made known to God. And you, and you, God, I praise you. And I'm believing that these things are going to happen. And you know, what happens to your heart and the condition of your spirit when God doesn't answer your prayer? What happens when you have an expectation of what Jesus is going to do and he doesn't do it? And what we witness when we look at Palm Sunday is exactly this story playing out. See, people were beginning with love. And that love turned to disillusionment. They were disillusioned at what God was doing, like what Jesus was doing. You're supposed to be the king of this kingdom. Everything's supposed to be different. Everything's supposed to change. And yet, you're not doing what we thought that you would do. When love turns to disillusionment, do you know what I see in people that just is provoked to the service? Frustration with their father. Have you ever been frustrated with God? Be honest with yourself. 
It happens when you have a prayer and it's not being answered and you want things to come to pass, but you're not seeing anything break through in your life. And what happens when you get frustrated eventually, you can turn sometimes to anger. People get angry towards God. But I thought, and you said, and I believed, but it's not here. It's easy to shout praise when you're believing that God's about to break through in your life. But while you wait on that, what happens to your heart? Let me tell you a story. This is so funny, this story. I love it. There was a guy in our church, and some of you will know him, and I won't mention him by name, but this was a very funny story. There's a guy in our church uh, years ago, and he went out uh, one day, and he loved the outdoors, and so he bought a kayak. And he took this kayak home to his house, and he put the kayak in his living room and then he left it there safely secured in his house and he went to an intercessory prayer meeting that was being run at the church at the time. Well, he happened to live with a couple of guys from Activate Church who thought it would be great to play a trick on their friend. So they came home and they found this kayak in the middle of their living room. And they said to themselves, they said to each other, why don't we hide his kayak and pretend that we've been robbed? And they took his kayak and they put it in one of their bedrooms. But the illusion wasn't complete. So they came and they took their TV and they pulled all the cables over, you know, so they were hanging down everywhere and they stole stuff and they kind of ransacked their own house. (laughs) So that everything was a mess. And then they waited for him to get home and they sat at their table right as he walked in with their head in their hands. And this person walks in and they say, you better sit down, something terrible's happened. And he's caught off guard so he doesn't notice the kayak missing. He sits down and he says, what's going on? And they say, look around, we've been robbed. They said, what? He said, we've been robbed. They stole our television They've gone taking money from our room. They stole our DVD player. And the person starts to get a bit anxious. It starts to rise up. And he starts looking for his kayak. (laughs) And he says, no, they've stolen my kayak. And the guys go, what kayak? And he says, I put a kayak in here. I bought it. It cost me thousands. I left it in this living room today and it's not here anymore. They're like, well, we never saw the kayak. We just thought it was our TV. That's terrible. And he stood up from the table. He was all worked up. He was walking around and pacing. He walked outside and he punched the door on the way out, right? And these guys were trying to act like they were so upset. They had to turn away and they're laughing to themselves, but they're trying to act like they're really upset. So they don't let him see their faces because they don't want it to give it away. And he walks outside and he, he, he starts hitting the wall and he says, I feel so violated. <laughs> Who says that? Who says, I feel so violated? He says, I feel so violated. And then he says, so much for intercessory prayer. Here I am, God, serving you. 
praying, interceding on behalf of the church, and look at how you repay me by taking my kayak. (laughs) And then after a while, the guys came and they said, it's in our room, none of that's stolen, and his temperature began to decrease. How easy it is for people to become frustrated with God. How quickly people can turn on God when they feel like, I'm doing everything for you. I'm expecting you're going to do something for me. What happens when we serve God and you're serving Him? And what happens when you're faithful? But the people that are susceptible to this are people that give. People that are susceptible to this are people that give their finance and resources, but also give a lot of their time. Because when you do that, you sort of somewhere inside your mind, you think that there's an exchange that's taking place. But God, I gave. I don't understand this. This is not fair. And how quickly it is for people to turn on God. I know this even as a father. It's easy for my kids to turn on me when they don't understand what I'm doing. On the weekend or during the week, I said to one of my kids, Isaac, I said, stay in your room and don't come out. Well, he never listens. And I said to him, uh, if you come out of your room, you will not be playing Minecraft on the weekend. Now, we only let the kids play it on the weekend because it was taking over their life. And, uh, and we said, all right, we're confining it to the weekend now. So they were playing, they can play video games on the weekend. And, uh, and so as they're um, uh, looking forward to that, Isaac came out of his room and I said to him, bang, said, you're not playing Minecraft on the weekend. And we were a few days out. Well, he's probably hoping dad forgot, but I didn't. And so it got to the weekend, it's yesterday morning, and he says, Dad, I want to play Minecraft. I said, uh, I said, you got out of your bed. And I could see him getting upset. And this is real, break, here's breakthrough, you want breakthrough, this is it right here. I said to Isaac, whose fault is this? It's always a very good question. I said, whose fault is this? And he goes, mine. I thought, the heavens have opened. <laughs> Let the glory come down. I thought, this is amazing. This is incredible. My son finally gets it because every time it was always me. You, you're standing between me and the game. He realized it was him. He said, this is my fault. I shouldn't have done this. But you know what? While he's trying to figure out what I'm doing, I'm trying to build disciplines and certain things into his life. My kids don't always understand what I'm doing. They don't get it. If you're a parent, you'll know this. And sometimes you do things and your kids can't figure you out. It's because you're beyond them and you're just trying to build things into their life. Certain disciplines, certain ideas, certain practices. And while they're in a period of frustration, how quickly that they can turn, I think people can do the same thing. Now, if you're here today you, and, and you've been asking God for things, honestly, you're in the company of people who have not understood everything that their Father in heaven has done. If you don't understand everything God's doing in your life, you are surrounded by people who feel the exact same way as you because I'm in that club as well. I don't always understand what God is doing. And the question is, what will I do when I don't understand what my Father is doing? Who do I become? How do I turn? Where do I turn? Can I tell you something? And I want to encourage you greatly with this this morning. The Father is doing something infinitely better than you can imagine. Years ago, um, Sarah and I, we built a house. It was so hard to build that house. You have no idea. All kinds of problems came up, but we got there. And when we built it, God said to me, sell that house and buy a larger home. And I said, no, wait, 
actually, that's a great idea. So I changed my mind because I, I, by the time we got there, I was tired of it. I was over it. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to go through the process of selling another home. But I felt like God said, no, I want you to sell it. I said, fine. Okay, we'll put it on the market. Do you know we put it on the market and we had these terrible tiles that if your socks scuffed them, it would show up. So on Saturday, for months and months and months, I'm on my hands and knees scrubbing these tiles, polishing them up for every open for inspection that we had. And because God told us to sell the house, we had an open for, an inspe- for, open for inspection every single Saturday. So every Saturday, I'd spend hours cleaning the house because I have kids, right? I had spent hours cleaning the house. We get out. I have to spend hours out of the house while they're taking people through. We show up. There's still cars parked out the front. So we're sitting in the car. This goes on for months. I'm tired of it. I'm over it. And what do I say? God, I thought that you told me that I should sell my house. So I have a decision to make. What am I going to do? Am I going to turn on God and say to him, God, I thought you said and become frustrated and bitter with him? Or this is the perspective that I took in the end. I said, you know what? You told me to sell this house now. And maybe the reason I'm selling it now is because the person that ends up buying it is looking at it now, but maybe they don't buy it for a couple of months. And the reason I have to wait a couple of months is because the house you prepared for me is not yet available. I'm trying to figure God out. You know, begin with trust. So I'm trying to figure him out. And this is the point that I come to. Well, you wouldn't believe it. A house comes up months later and it's it's a fantastic home and it's advertised at well below what the market rate is. After two weeks, they dropped the price even further. Sarah says, we've got to go check out this house. I said, great. So we went and looked at the house and we're like, this is perfect. You know, there's plenty of room for the kids to play and muck around in the backyard. And so I say, hey, what's the problem here with this house? You know, does it have termites? Like, what's, what's the reason that they're dropping the, the price? He says, well, to be honest, uh, the couple that lived here, they're getting a divorce and, uh, you know, they need to sell the house quickly. And as bad as that was for them, it was just so great for us. So, so we put in a low offer and bought the house and, and we got it. And you know what? It was when that became available, that's when we sold our house. Right then, there at that moment. And how much of your life is in retrospect? Do you look back and say, I should have trusted you all along. I never understood what you were doing. I never understood it at the time. But I'm t- saying to you this morning, you've got to make a decision to trust Jesus now when you don't understand make a decision to trust your father now so what do you do while you're waiting a couple things you can do you can try to move ahead of God Abraham did that and he produced a child that was not the heir to a promise that God had made to him but what are you going to do you've got choices What will be the position? Will you stay in a position of praise while you're waiting? If you're frustrated and you're saying, God, I don't understand where you are. You know what starts to happen in people's heart? Please tune into this. This is very important. People start to change what they think about God. And then they start to think, maybe it's that God doesn't really want His best for me. And that is one of the most debilitating thoughts you can have Let me tell you right now, your father wants the absolute best for you. He wants the best for you. Don't allow delay to begin to erode and eat away at your soul where you start to think maybe God doesn't want His best for me. No, don't settle for less than what God actually wants to give to you. Here are people in this story and they're crying out, Hosanna. 
and they were horrified to find out what Jesus was about to do. So he comes into town and this is so bizarre. They're waiting for him. Here comes the king and he curses a fig tree on the way to destroying the temple. What are you talking about? Jesus, that wasn't our expectation. Jerusalem will be the center. And actually, the synagogue, that will be the place where the world centers around. That's the very epicenter of everything. And Jesus comes along and he curses a fig tree. Who knows what that's about? Then he goes into the temple. He stops the the sacrifices from happening for, who knows, like half an hour to an hour. He stops the flow of sacrifice, turning over tables. You know what he was saying? He was saying that the temple is supposed to bear fruit and it's under judgment, just like that tree was. You're supposed to be bearing fruit temple. You're supposed to be pointing people to God, but you're pointing people at yourselves. You see, my daughter, when I talk to her, she's very young. She's, you know, eight months old. And I will say to her things like, Aliana, there is your toy over there. Do you know what she looks at? My finger. And I say, no, over there. But she's looking at my finger. The temple was supposed to point to the Father and everyone was looking at the finger they said the temple that's where it's at that's what's supposed to happen that's what it's all about the temple will become the epicenter that's what this that's why we're here so when Jesus comes and does what they don't expect when the Father changes everything turns everything upside down like literally turns over tables and everything they said Jesus we were prepared to crown you king when we thought you were going to do something for us but since you've just gone and done an about face and you're changing everything well now we're going to cry crucify you because you're not doing what we want you to do. But let me tell you something, Jesus was doing something infinitely better than what they could possibly imagine. They thought, wouldn't it be great if the world would center around this place and we can make sacrifices and we've got lots of things to do. And you know, we will just, the world will gather around that. Jesus's idea is forget that, that's old, that's done. No longer will God stay behind the veil. But when I come and when I bring my kingdom, I bring my authority and I place it on you, I will bring heaven to earth and I will transform not this city, but the entire world. What He was doing was infinitely better, but because of their small minds, they said, crucify Him, you're not doing what we want you to do. What do you do when God is not doing what you want Him to do? What's the position of your heart? It's easy to praise when you think that He's doing something for you, but when He doesn't do what you think, what happens to your praise? What happens to your heart? So here comes Jesus on a donkey, sitting on it, they're laying down the palm leaves, they're laying down their coats and here He comes and He walks in saying the kingdom of heaven it's at hand, it's right here it's so close but there's there's just one more thing that needs to happen in order for His kingdom to come there's a price that needs to be paid, there's an exchange that needs to be made and Jesus is getting ready to pay it and you know what my question is why didn't He just run away Why didn't Jesus just leave? He knew what was coming. When the Bible says that the Son of Man would be marred beyond semblance, it means He wouldn't be recognized, not as Jesus, but as a man. In other words, He'd be tortured so horrifically that you wouldn't even be able to see Him as a human being anymore. He knows what's coming. So why doesn't He run? Well, maybe He's just trying to please His Father. And then I thought back to Jesus' baptism. 
before he did one thing for his father, he said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. So it's not doing anything to impress his father. Why would he pay such a costly price? I think it's the same thing that was when in my heart, in Sarah's heart, we said, well, we have another child. Absolutely. Why? Because we love him. And Sarah goes through incredible pain to give birth to a child, but then she'll do it all over again. Why? I think it's the same reason Jesus was willing to go through the pain. You know why? Because He loves us. It wasn't to impress His Father. It wasn't because He had to. He said, I make this decision. No one can take this from me. No one takes my own life. I give it up of my own accord. Why? Simply because I love people and I've decided that they are worth the cost. So, will you praise Him while you wait? Jesus paid a price. He paid a very expensive price. While you're waiting for God to do something in your life, will you praise Him? Is that, will that be the condition of your heart? Because if you trust your Father, if you, if you trust Him, I believe He will do something that's infinitely better than what you've been hoping for. You feel like you're let down right now? I think He's doing something better. You waiting on a job right now? I think He's doing something better. What are you waiting for right now? Where is God moving in your life that feels like He's pulling you in a different direction? He's doing something better. I think He's doing something greater than you could possibly imagine. And why would I say that? Why would I think that? Here's why. Because the Father doesn't enjoy the Son's victory by keeping the Kingdom of Heaven out of your reach. He gave His Son for your best. He gave His Son because He loves you infinitely. Every time you don't understand what God is doing, I'm telling you, He's doing something better than you can imagine. You just can't see it. You can't understand it yet. But I believe in retrospect, you look back and you say, aha, now I know. What will you do while you wait? He will not keep the kingdom of heaven. And He doesn't celebrate and say, oh, my son gave his life so the kingdom of heaven could be within the reach of people that are on earth and then enjoy that experience by keeping everything from you. He's not keeping it from you. But sometimes there's an appointed time and sometimes you need to wait. And while you wait, what will you do? Can we stand together? We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.